You can see my award-winning climate comedy show spoilers at a festival near you, provided you live near or are going to McCuncliffe or Wells Comedy Festivals. More dates added soon near you, conceivably, who knows what might happen. And if you are at Mac, come and see ComCom Redacted live at 4pm on the Saturday. Go to stuartgoldsmith.com and click the very attractive banner image to find out more. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to the show. Stuart Goldsmith here. I am talking today on the Comedian's Comedian podcast to Leo Reich. Leo, and I didn't check with him whether it should be pronounced Reich or like how hard you lean into the Reich. Because it's a hell of a word, isn't it? He's a hell of a comic. He's a comedian and a writer. And his debut, which is called Literally Who Cares, culminated in a sold out show at Earth Hackney. That show was then filmed as an HBO special by A24, right? So this is the territory. Debut show turned into an HBO special. Leo is something really special. And as you will hear at the very beginning of this interview, um, I think we started from a a sort of a point of view. We started from a place of me saying, I'm angry at how good you are, given how young you are. And um, that's very much the theme of this, how young he is. And also we're going to talk about sincerity and how young people engage with sincerity or fail to. And I'll also probably bang on about being cringe. It's just me. Um, You can join the Insiders Club at patreon.com slash ComComPod, where you can watch the full episode. Yes, you heard me right. You can watch the full episode and you can get access to over 30 minutes of bonus features. Producer Callum would like me to point out it's 35 minutes 22 to be exact because we banged on for ages and it is all great gear. Uh, The extra stuff includes Leo on the development of the debut show and this, I mean, if you're a, I nearly said Spod, what I mean is if you're a deep comedy fan like me, aka Spod, uh, he gets into the development of his debut show and how it turned into becoming a parody of the previous, like the previous intended debut show. What a means. If you don't understand that, you have to listen to The Insiders because it is an absolutely, it's sort of an insane curveball idea of how one might go about making a show. And it's beautiful. We also talk about his experience taking the show around the world from Melbourne to New York and other stuff besides. So over half an hour of stuff and the ability to watch the whole episode at patreon.com slash comcompod. Um, so in the first half, we're going to talk about launching a debut hour on the cusp of the pandemic. We'll talk a lot about sincerity. We'll talk about his experience working with the late and very wonderful Adam Brace. This is Leo Wright. were your intentions for that show was it like this will be my debut and hopefully i'll make some waves and people will come hopefully i'll build an audience or i'll because you're not even as far as i know someone who's got a million followers on tiktok and got them to come to the show not even no not even at all uh the intention i read the intention was i've i'm the intention was to try and do a really good friend show and that was genuinely but that was always my dream as a as a teenage comedy like fucking rat i my my absolute pinnacle and still kind of to be honest the the thing that i'm happiest about about the show is that it went really well in edinburgh and the whole dream for me as a teenager was 
when I went to Edinburgh and then in those shows which kind of have word of mouth people are like you've got to fucking try and get into the, the monkey barrel 2 at 9am to get to this you, you know like that kind of buzz thing and that community atmosphere and the feeling that everyone's like doing this mental month of incredibly um, self-sabotaging and emotionally damaging um, work for kind of little to no reason. That was the thing that I always really wanted to be part of. So that was like, that in, intention-wise on that level, I really just wanted Edinburgh to go really well. And did you, like someone who has had this level of kind of reaction to the show, often those are people who could have gone earlier and waited and were tactical and had a game plan and yeah. like, I'm going to polish that up. We were talking um, about another act earlier on who I, I wouldn't accuse of necessarily having a game plan, but who's kind of pieced themselves together. I need that skill. I need that skill. I'm uh -huh. going to assemble these. Yeah, yeah. Was this a case of like waiting until this show was ready? Or did you literally go, this is going to be my first show. I wrote it in a year and it happened to be perfect by the time it got there. <laughs> Um, no, well, I wanted to do it in 2020. I was, I was, I'm not, I, I don't have patience for anything. And I can't keep, I, I, the idea of like keeping something in until it's ready just does not like work, work for me at all. I'm so like desperate to get stuff out immediately. Um, and I had something in 2020, which I just, it was so glad I wasn't able to do um, silver <laughs> lining, huge silver lining. Was it was a really like anecdotal, confessional like narrative comedy show. It was like just stand up, no like all the the kind of costume makeup stuff, all the songs. None of that was in it. It was just truly me doing a confessional as myself um, story show in like a very classic fringy way. Um, and then it was the pandemic, so I couldn't do it. And over the pandemic, I was like, what the, f what the fuck was that? That was terrible. And I would watch the video over and over again being like, what? Uh, thank God you never performed this for a month. Okay. By day two, you would have absolutely jumped into the sea because it's so deeply not me at all to be... Like, it, it had, like, a full 45-minute mark, like... And that's when I realised that really what we all need is hope. You know, that kind of thing. I've never said anything that earnest <laughs> in my private life. Okay, how did you? How did it end up being that? Well, I want to find out what, if anything, was kind of kept from that and taken yeah. forwards, or was it simply like a reaction against it? We'll get to that in a second. But how did you end up there, given what you're doing now? How did you end? Why were you doing an earnest show? I don't know. I think it's just like the done. I was. I was like, I've been doing stand up now. I hadn't really. I, I had been doing. I just graduated uni. I've been doing loads of sketch comedy at uni, and and I was like, well, I'm I now can't really do sketch because of loads of different reasons. People didn't live near me and stuff, and then and who and no one cares about sketch in, in general these days, which is sad. Um, <laughs> no, but, nicely picked, nicely picked yeah. up. As you slag off sketch, <laughs> I obviously, love sketch. and it's tragic that I'm everyone picks it no, shit. <laughs> sketch's biggest defender. <laughs> um, but it meant that I was like, well, I'm going to do stand-up. And, and it felt like the that was the, at that point, like, prevailing, like, mode of doing that, I think, especially the fringe, or had been for about 10 years, probably, was to take true stories from your life and weave them into a, like, satisfying 
narrative, like a kind of, you know, a Mike Babiglia style. I mean, I love these comics mm. and, and, and those shows, like always loved those shows. Uh, but me doing it was crazy because it rang so... F- well, I think watching it back, I think it rings really false because that's not... <laughs> I'm not like... I'm not someone who's sort of sitting around being like, oh, the beautiful threads of my life that I can weave together. Sure. I'm someone who's sitting around going, ah! ah! Yes, Maybe. yes. And that's kind of a, a premise of the show or like a, a core value of the show is, I don't know what I think. I yeah. do have some really big thoughts, I've been told. Yeah. You know, that kind of, that, that undercutting the idea, like the, the uh, that is an element of it which is sincere, in fact. That's, you know, it's a very totally. honest thing to, to say to sort of mock yourself for going, I've got some huge opinions that I, I change from day to day. Totally, and I do I do have that. And and the worry about doing podcasts and stuff is that I will, if you ask me a question, I will say the first thing that comes into my head, I will believe <laughs> it so much. And then when this comes out, I'll listen back and be like, I don't think that at all. What the fuck are you talking about? Why do you think you're like that? If that's how you identify yourself as like, oh, that's, that's a, 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 th- a habit of mine. I don't know. Why do you think you do that? I don't know what's it. It's a performance thing. I think in the, in whatever like situation I'm in, trying to just kind of impress the person that's sitting in front of me, either by making them laugh or making them think like, wow, this is genius, a very clever idea, or however I mean, however I can, uh, just throwing everything at that in a way that that does not facilitate you thinking in any serious way about what you mean or uh, you know, how it's going to come across, all of that stuff. Um, and I, and I, I think that the, the, what I challenge in the show, I guess, on some level, is, is try and link that to like, you know, it's a very social media influenced attitude to um, building yourself and your personality uh, to focus on kind of outward projection rather than inward consistency uh, and integrity. Um, so, yeah, did that answer the question? No, no, that was a very, very erudite answer. Um, so, is that I've got, I've got, I've got so many th- things for now? Mm-hmm. This is the bit now. I'm going to try and remember all those bits to come back to. Do you feel pressure to not be sincere online? I don't mean in the show. I mean in the, in the in the world that the show is about. Yeah. Do you feel as a as a as a young person, as someone who heartbreakingly is closer in age to my children than me, and that's going to happen more and more and never stop happening? But do you feel under like I, I recognise a kind of internet voice? One of the things I talk about occasionally on the show, because it's a preoccupation of mine that I see it and I sort of appreciate it, but I'm terrible at it, is when people uh, have crazily viral Instagram posts or whatever posts, whereby they're sort of doing. Oh, I'm such a dork. Look at me as I'm in the green room for a massive show I'm about to do. Sure. And they manage to effectively boast. It's not just a humble brag. It's something more finesse than that. It's like, it's a, it's a boast. A lot of the times it's an, a reasonable boast. You know, I've yeah. done a thing that I'm really proud of, but mm-hmm. no one ever says I'm proud of this. They do it in this not. sort of arch internet way. Yeah. I remember Helen Bauer having a go <laughs> at me because she's like, Stu, you're so earnest. And I'm like, I am. I have to own that. I'm incredibly fucking earnest. I'm yeah. 46. You know, I'm just an earnest, but I just, you know, I'm, I, I, my things are like, oh God, no one must ever know what I really think. So yeah. I have to try and please everyone. That's a pressure for me. Is it a pressure for you not to be... Is there pressure for you and perhaps for people your age not to be sincere because it's like icky? Um, yeah, it's cringe. Definitely. Cringe. That, sorry, that's the word Helen yeah. used. She said I'm incredibly cringe. cringe. <laughs> yeah, it's cringe. Well, I think I think if you 
if you've grown up you like online it's it's the idea that you could get across something you really feel in any kind of meaningful way via instagram is so like page one insane to anyone who's had instagram since they were 10 <laughs> that I, I think when people try and do it to me it, it's just like oh my god like what are you talking about to be like i would just like to thank all of the people it it it, it the the immediate gut level reaction is that is so the performance is so transparent ah okay because this obviously isn't the medium to communicate these serious thoughts through because it's instagram and we're all on it and we all know how we post stuff so you're meant i'm meant to think i'm meant to like delude myself that you're posting this out of the kindness of your own heart no no darling <laughs> Absolutely not. I, I think... Do you know what I mean? Yeah, but, to, no, totally. I think it's very I, well explained. I think that... Um, um, very well explained. Mm. It's a young person's guide to how not to be cringe. <laughs> um, I, I think that people my age use Instagram almost as if it's email. Like, you might email yeah. someone, here's a thing that I think... Or you might email several people, hey, everyone, would you like to come and see a thing? Yeah. And so we treat social media like that, as if it's a means of telling people that we know, hey, I'd love it if you did this. And that's like an inherently... Like, it's not necessarily a promotional, or it might be promotional, but it's yes. not like... I don't think it has, for me, the idea of pretense... It, like in, yeah. embedded in it in the well, way that I, I think, think it does it, for younger it's, people it's like a, it just must take up such a different place in your life yeah because it's I mean it's such a huge part of my life because I spend five hours a day on my phone <laughs> and that's when after it's gone down that's no. like a low five hours a day and so it's like a primary Do way you know of it's five hours? Have you like had a, one of those like things? like five hours, like four to five hours sure. a day. Okay. Um, and so it's like a really primary way of interacting. With, that's more than I see my friends, obviously. It's yeah. more than I, I'm interacting with the actual people that I'm engaging with. And that's, that's true for me as well, to an extent. Not that amount of time, but I do see my... I interact with my friends like I've... I've experienced that thing where, like, I'm I'm on Facebook because yeah. I remember I, I used to put my photos on Facebook. Yeah, yeah. Or yeah. you could put your photos online. So you look back at anyone my age. You look back at like their Facebook photos from ten or fifteen years ago. They're the most ludicrous. They're literally like scans of real blurred photos because you only had a certain <laughs> number of. Go- I mean, it's mind blowing. I see my friends online. That's the reason I mentioned uh, yeah. Facebook is because like. I've recognised that there are people who I feel like I'm friends with because the, the algorithm on Facebook has decided to show me their stuff. Mm-hmm. I don't actually know them that well. I don't actually see them very often. Yeah. And um, But for me, that is a thing that came in throughout my life, whereas for you, it was the, the existing conditions yeah. when you first got a phone. Yeah. That's what this is for. Yeah, Instagram yeah. has always been sort of facile and you know, yeah, facetious. Yeah, yeah. You wouldn't yeah. dream of putting anything real on there. Whereas I think people of my age and beyond are sort of trying to cope with the fact that, oh, this is a means by which I can speak to people. So we say, I suppose it's the equivalent. I'm in, I'm in the middle position between you and my dad's wife posted some <laughs> boomer meme about something or other, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, or, or whoever, yeah. like a, a person who's my parents' age, yeah. posting like a, hey, send this to, you know what I mean? Like effectively chain letter type spam in a public post. Yeah. So I occupy a sort of central thing whereby I feel destabilised by it. 
Do you find it destabilizing or do you feel comfortable that it means nothing? I uh, know, I find it so destabilizing. It's the most destabilizing thing in the world, I think. Um, that, but, but you get to a point, I think, well, I think there's like been a tipping point, maybe. I'm so, I'm talking like I'm a sociologist, so I have no idea. No, no, what no I'm, I'm, I'm asking, requiring you to do that. Have, I have no idea what I'm talking about. We will disclaim, hey we'll disclaim the entire um, episode with Leo doesn't know what the fuck I he's talking about. I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. <laughs> uh, but I feel like there's been a tipping point, certainly, since I was at school. I remember being a teenager and everyone was, the whole thing was like, the amazing power of connectivity in social media and the amazing way that it can connect people from all over the world. And even if you live in a different country to your cousin, you can send them a message. And that was the whole thing. And it was like the amazing sort of messianic um, Silicon Valley stuff in yeah. like the mid, like late 2000s, early 2010s. And I don't think there is a single person maybe on earth, apart from the people who work for the companies now, who, if you ask them, is social media good or bad for you, would go good. It's just like such a... There, there have been enough seasons of Black Mirror now that we all know phones very scary stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but I think there's been like a... What I'm saying is I think there's been like a, a kind of cultural shift in our relationship to um, the internet in general broadly, but I, I think social media specifically, where everyone is so self-aware about how how damaging it can be to our way of interacting with each other in the world and how this the kind of the 2016 election i think was a big part of that like at the end of of um the kind of love affair with social media as, as a form of self-expression and um i think i'm re just really interested in the fact that even though i feel like that's happened i i still use my phone five hours a day yeah so it for, and for me what it makes is this like loop of um in the same way i do with like i don't know fast food or whatever that's such a banal comparison but um i'll use i'll still use social media as much i'll still like go on twitter but i'll know it's bad so i'll just like feel guilt while i'm doing it yes you don't change the actions you, you still don't change do the actions, the actions at all not at all it's like a death drive kind of mm. and sometimes i can feel my like politics shifting as i'm scrolling or like I can feel like I've even you read one tweet that's like one insane opinion and I'm like oh, that's insane then you read like 14 more of the kind of the same angle and you're like well actually when you think about it like that yeah. and you're like oh my god in real time yeah. from outside my body I'm watching myself my morals decay I'll often I'll often like first thing in the morning or last thing at night I'll think to myself like last thing at night I'm going to go to bed now I'm going to read my book my book is on my phone it's on Kindle so I'm going to read okay, that it's a huge mistake yeah. it's a huge mistake but huge my wife mistake. has insomnia I have to read in the dark I can't yeah. I, you know I'm going to do it so but the huge mistake is I'll think I'll just check Twitter and I'll think to myself, I will definitely have the thought, if I do that, I'll get sad or upset. <laughs> yeah, to yeah, me, yeah. like, yeah, exactly. a, a horrible thing. I will see some horrible thing, either a horrible opinion or some horrible evidence of something awful happening in the world that I will have no ability to do anything about, and it will make me sad. And then I'll do it anyway. So I, I don't even think, this time I'll be fine. I just think, oh, it can't be that bad. And then three minutes later, I'm like, oh, God, what was I doing? And turn it off. Yeah, that, well, I think the thing that, that I... Because that's that's such a thing, and and I, I guess people have been saying that kind of stuff for for I guess probably almost ten years now. But that I think what people what I think is interesting is that that we've 
I feel like forgotten that that wasn't always the relationship that people had to Twitter or Facebook or Instagram, whatever. And that that's been quite a slow drip of um, tying social media to, to... Social media used to be like a self-love thing. Yeah. And that's still sort of remnants of that in places. But now it's so totally a self-hatred thing. Um, and usually people's relationships now, at least if I talk to my friends, their relationships with social media are so um, much more tied to the ways in which they, or so much more self-consciously tied in the way into the ways in which they hate themselves than, than in projecting any kind of kind of positive self-image. Yeah. The, and that didn't that that hasn't happened overnight, and it also wasn't that wasn't the, the social media dream of when I was like at school and we'd have assemblies being like, how to harness the power of social media to, to put, you, you know, express your unique personality or whatever. That was the whole vibe. As far as I remember it. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think there's, is there- Do you remember at the beginning when I was like, if you ask me a question, I will talk. No, no, this is exactly what I want. This is fine. You're making this very easy. This is fascinating stuff. Trust me to steer you. I'm truly going to listen back to this and be like, that's so, so dumb. That sounds so dumb. I don't think so. Why would you... What are you defending for yourself by thinking that? Uh... That's not dumb. Everything you said is intelligent and well-reasoned. Well, the, Do you I think feel, you'll change your mind on it? Well, I think the, thi- uh, the, also, the other thing about this is that this kind of topic is that it, the, there's so much, like, discourse about this stuff that it's so deeply impossible not to sound like the most boring idiot alive who's making the most obvious... When I earlier compared um, so, social media usage to fast food, yeah. that made me feel low. You <laughs> picked yourself my... up on that yeah. immediately. <laughs> that so is like, the idea oh of my God, the sort are of you the... fucking kidding me? <laughs> the, the kind of the constant self-scrutiny. Yeah. And I was thinking, um, if I'll take some of this video and to advertise the podcast, I might put a clip on Instagram <laughs> and I might put a clip of you being sincere, <laughs> saying no! something that you actually think that and you'd have to look suck. at it. Oh, Leo, could you post this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Being sincere? And I, and Absolutely I not. Read and not to reply. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> God. So as it as it pertains to your comedy, then this is the yeah. world that you're navigating in this in this show. Yeah. This is part. That's one of the worlds that you're navigating, and you are contributing to a discourse. You're not. You are contributing something sincere to it. You're yeah. not doing it in a sincere way, but you found a really funny, playful, ironic way to say some things you actually think. Yes, yes. Um, well, when we were developing the show, like before Edinburgh, uh, the way I was trying to think about it, it was, you know, it is a confessional show, um, but it's conf- it's like confession through irony rather than through earnestness. So you're still, you're still trying to reveal as much as possible about your, about your, yourself and about myself and how I see the world and you know, how I feel. But it would, I think I realized that it would be kind of impossible to get at the feeling through, through the kind of like direct, um, anecdotal stand-up that just didn't match the experiences that I was having or the um, or the tensions that I was feeling. Because um, ultimately it's like that for me, most of the stuff that I do in stand-up and in comedy in general is about um, on some level, like just like believing or, or 
experiencing two like directly contradictory and like unreconcilable things at the exact same time and it felt like to try and like to try and like simplify that into a, a clean and um satisfactory narrative satisfying cathartic narrative uh, about my life and and the beautiful journeys that i'd had on it just didn't feel like the right mode of getting that across great answer very sincere very <laughs> sincere I, I i don't want you to um, uh, to disavow that one later that was a good point it should you ever happen to listen back or have this any of this uh, should you be reminded of any of this that's one i totally agree with i think okay. that's a very well made point I'm going to, I don't want you to come out of here being, oh God, I feel really sincere. I've been talking to girls for an hour and now I'm just, I'm, I'm thinking everything I feel. No, I, I, should, I should laugh. I was like, I, I do have thoughts and feelings and stuff. They are honest. Like, I don't, don't believe you. You're, you're, the, you're the boy who cried, well. No, honestly, well, that's the, that was the other thing we kept talking about in, when we were working on the show is, is this idea of like a, um, a, like a sincerity trap or like people talk about a, a lot of, of people being irony poisoned. Um, whereas when, once you get to a certain level, it's incredibly difficult to work back to like a core, like a stable core. Once you're, once you're at a certain kind of layer of performance, um, you know, and people, you could, you could very easily go, there's no core, the idea of a core is, is made up and it's fantasy anyway. But I definitely do feel like in the show, at least there are there are points where the idea is that I'm really trying to be serious and that because of the context of what I'm doing and what I'm wearing and how I'm coming across and the way I speak and the, the stuff that I have to clarify and undercut, it's just like literally impossible to do. And the language as well. I guess the other thing that I really think about social media is that it's so, it's so, tied to advertising and to like the to to advertising language um and i think that once i re i really think that once like a phrase or a or a certain way of speaking has been used by an ad yeah it's kind of impossible to get that back yeah. like that to reclaim the language to express yes, something a, a personal. A brand moves in. I know that's one of my favourite memes is whenever someone posts silence brand. Yeah, 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 You yeah, know, yeah, with yeah. like the laser eye mantis or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. but it's, it's, it's terrifying. <laughs> like when a, when a, that I really freaks me out when like Wendy's replies to McDonald's being yeah. like, meet you outside, bitch, or something. Yeah, or yeah, like, yeah. like any, anything like that. And obviously the, the most harrowing one is when, when like a brand, like branded, com like a company will post something about kind of, world coming out day and it will be like at jp morgan we love to have be gay and and you're like well now i don't want to say that i'm gay because <laughs> you've done that because what could it possibly mean yeah that your bank supports gay like that doesn't make sense <laughs> what do you mean by that and you've debased the language and it was the only language we had and i think we can't the part of the idea was like I think we, we, I find it really hard to express myself without the kind of cringe. Yeah. Um, because if you're trying to express actually something you feel and the words that come out your mouth are the words of an ad, that's like one of the most humiliating things in the world. 
I know you worked with wonderful the late Adam Brace. Yeah. And he directed the show. Yes, he did. Yeah, the live show, yeah. And Adam was, and lots of people have quite rightly sort of talked about Adam's wonderful virtues as a man and as a director and what have you. I'm wondering, I, I kind of, I sort of feel like it would be um, uh, dignified and deferent to say, tell us something brilliant about Adam and working with him mm. first, because I then want to ask you about working with a director who's my age. So, oh, like, yeah. that that tension is interesting. I think before we get into that, I should give you a space to tell us how great Adam was. <laughs> well, I mean, they, they can be one and the same question. Yeah. Um, because, well, the, I mean, the amazing thing about Adam, and you, you have him to blame, I guess, also for me being so kind of um, insanely verbose on this podcast and just kind of rattling off my opinions without a care in the world. Uh, it's because the first time I sat down with him, I had never... I was, like... I think I was at the point of like just starting to wear makeup on stage. Uh, I was still kind of in the middle ground of like, kind of doing anecdotally stuff, but also trying to move away from that to something a little bit more heightened. And he was, and the first meeting I had with him, which was to vibe it out and see if it could, we could have the same perspective on stuff, was the first time ever where someone who I thought, who I really like respected and trusted was like, oh yeah, you should absolutely do that. And these kind of, these sort of bigger ideas could be the whole thing. And you don't have to do like five at the start about, you know, how like gay people are like this and straight people are like that, if you don't want to do that. And I think that, that was like a huge moment for me where I was like, oh, right. And I was like, right, but what people don't laugh? And I, I don't like me. And, he's, and he, his whole perspective the whole time, like, oh, fuck him. Uh, do you think it's good? That's how I talk. Um, and that kind of... And he did this for loads of people. Um, but he really did it for me, that kind of... Um, just like a really confident and clear sense of when he thought something was worth doing. And backed by just an encyclopedic knowledge of comedy, but also theatre and performance art. Um means just the world if you are fucking nowhere random like bombing so much i can't even tell you <laughs> to people who just do not care um it would it, it just that even on its own even without having then obviously worked really intensely together on the show that on its own would have changed my entire career in life Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. So, this is Leo. What a fun. It's like, it's lovely to get old in comedy. It's lovely. It's joyous and a privilege, as RuPaul tells us. It's a privilege to get older. It's a privilege to get older in comedy. And it's so fun to engage with someone so smart and focused and in, and sort of engaged, grappling. I think what I love about Leo is that, dis, you know, as not despite, as well as all of his charm and energy and, and his very fine comedy mind, he's really grappling with something. And it's so fun to join him and to grapple, to grapple with Leo. Well, that sentence ended badly, but... 
Do you know what I mean? Like, we'd, I I really enjoy getting into a serious thing at in some depth. And this is what we did and what we continue to do. Coming up in the second half, we'll talk about how to determine what the next cultural moment is that needs to be tackled. We'll talk about his persona, his presence on stage. Of course, we'll find out whether he's happy. Place your bets now. Let's not turn that into a game. Or should we? That'd be quite a fun, a fun pod drinking game. You're allowed 10 minutes into... No, you're allowed the midpoint and you need to guess, make a premonition for yourself as to what the answer will be when I ask whether the person is happy. Does that cheapen it? If it does, it cheapens us all. And so we're all in the same boat. Remember, the full episode is available uh, to watch, to be watched at patreon.com slash comcompod and indeed at comedianscomedian.com slash insiders, which leads to patreon.com slash comcompod. I'm going to deduplicate everything, but I haven't done it yet. So that's where you can go. You know, if you can find the Patreon, you've earned the right to join it. If you've still not switched over, if you're subscribed through Orsound, PayPal or Moonclerk, all of them previous iterations of the Insiders Club, please now pay attention to the email instructions you've been sent. If you can't find any or don't feel you were sent any, then just get in touch with me, Stuart at ComediansComedian.com and I will sort you right out. So, full episode, over 30 minutes of bonus features, including this particularly wonderful idea about the the, the genesis of Leo's show as a, as a reaction, as a, a parody of the previous debut that he tried to make. All of that available on the Patreon if you're a Patreon person, an Insiders Club member slash insider. Right, I hope by the time you've listened to this, I'll have got over the debacle that it's too late to warn you of in advance, whereby I, t- I took my award-winning... Best show at the Leicester Comedy Festival 2023 show, spoilers, back triumphantly to the Leicester Comedy Festival and found out yesterday that I had been misinformed that it was near sellout, didn't bother to promote it, and then found out yesterday that that was misinformation, uh, an accident, and an an understandable and completely forgivable accident. But nonetheless, I'm now taking my triumphant victory show back to a quiet room which I will enjoy nonetheless because comedy will keep you humble and let's inhabit that and breathe into it. And I always, I love doing that show and it's fun. So let's assume that the next time we speak, I will tell you all about how well it went, uh, despite, or, or I'll either tell you that it massively blew up and sold out and I didn't have worried, or I'll tell you about the very special, lovely, sober time that I had with a handful of uh, audience members. I'm also, and this this is something I'm not going to fail to promote, I'm also at the Wells Comedy Festival uh, in May and also I'm going to be at the McCuntleth Comedy Festival, both with spoilers. It's a really good show. Come and see it. It made a bunch of people at a sustainability conference grip my hand, look deep into my eye and say thank you. Like several of them did that afterwards. Um, but it's also good for normal people. All right. So come and see that there. All of the links that you need are at stuartgoldsmith.com and uh, Callum, please put them in the show notes as well. Let's assume he did that. They're in the show notes. So let's get back without further ado to Mr. Leo Wright. Given that you when you were at Cambridge Footlights and you were doing sketch shows in Edinburgh and you were kind of ready and you're clearly smart and funny and you Nothing. write no come on you like I'm single yeah <laughs> right okay um, uh, I think the listenership for this show isn't gonna yeah. isn't gonna help with that yeah probably not but do you, but give it a go if you if you're on the fence and if, you're listening if give this it a go interview has one core value it's that you should definitely have a crack have a crack at it why not why not I think that it's easy to kind of see those things and the like 
it's production values, whatever that means, like in yeah. every aspect of it. And you could see that and go, oh, has Leo been grown in a lab? Is there <laughs> is there foreign investment in yeah, Leo? Yeah, yeah, Do you yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. And like like a new joke about you know my my dad's company sponsored the yeah, show Deutsche yeah, Bank, yeah. whatever. <laughs> but um, but it, it's you could sort of go. This has been designed either by or with people who know what the fuck they're doing. It's like there there, there could be there could be a world in which twenty three, I guess, when you were making it, twenty mm-hmm. twenty two year old Leo showed promise and i mean this i feel like this used to happen in the days of dvd advanced deals you know yeah. people would go this kid's gonna be big let's give him 30 grand yeah and then he can pay all these different people like there's a well world- that's what it's meant to that was the idea as well that's the idea is it's meant to be like it's meant to feel i mean i i guys talk so much about how young i am and like a I, like the the idea of the show is it's like a on some level as well as being a, a slight send-off of those like at the confessional stand-up shows, it's also hopefully on some level a stand-up of like a kind of young industry plant show. That's you know? the term I wanted. An like industry a focus group yes. um, pop star that emerges, who's like whose parents are weirdly like head of EMI or whatever. Yeah, that's the that was the energy that I wanted to have in it. Yeah, so all of those like. Well, the things like everything has to look like right, sure. and, the, the, and the the sound and the music, and we've got a really great friend to to um, produce the tracks to make them like sound a, like, like a, to- a Tony Award winning great friend. Oh right? yeah, well, well, I mean, the, Toby, I wrote the the songs with, and yeah. then Nikki Green, who's amazing, um, did like produced the tracks, like made the tracks, and and we would like talk about like reference points and try and make it sound like kind of a I don't know like a, one of the songs is like a like a B-side Billie Eilish track or like a sure. this one needs to sound like uh, like Rosalia or whatever and and all of that to try and be like this this is someone like you said sort of like designed to try and like capture the zeitgeist in in that kind of really clinical like Uninvent like that really like overthought uh like corporate way that people try and capture the zeitgeist yeah like talking about every issue that's like a, a buzzword without saying anything ever um and hitting all the like right hooks in the songs uh but they're four seconds long or whatever like that kind of stuff it, it's yeah, that that was so at the heart of it. The the feeling that like cultural production being so shallow, um, and trying to send that up as well as uh, and and make that undercut the idea that I was actually expressing anything, like even in just aesthetically. Did you have to walk a, a sort of a daily tightrope between sending that up and actually being that? Uh, yes, I don't know if I'm on the tightrope anymore. I but... <laughs> That was yeah. It's weird. Do you know what I mean? Like if you're so all of weird. those things you you sort of talked about, like you do talk about all those buzzwords. You're sending it out, but you do talk about them. I know. You, yeah. You, you're sending up the massive production values and the 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 you know the industry plant thing, but you're also like you're a Cambridge Footlights guy who's mm-hmm. smashed it with a really good show that had the best director and the best team behind mm-hmm. you. And everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How does that? How do you feel about that? Um. Well, I yeah no, I it's it it's like the central contra, I guess the central contradiction of it is that 
it's all, uh, I, I, I guess on a much more basic level, it's like, I'm being like, it's so bad when people do this, but I'm doing it and it's good <laughs> when I do it. You know, it's like that it's, it, it. And I think I, hopefully the idea was, and I don't know if this is such like a weaseling out of this question, but the idea was that that's kind of the point of the show in general, yeah. like a much more like bigger way is like, um, and, and sort of hating something and being it at the same time. And, uh, and kind of that, that is the, it's not some, it's not really a solvable yeah. problem because you are the thing that you hate and that kind of loop being, it's impossible to get out of. Uh, and I think that's the same kind of like the, this, the sort of sincerity irony thing that we were talking about earlier. It's like, as, as much as I could send up privilege or whatever, it's like, yeah, not really though. <laughs> Can't really. <laughs> Like all of the, it's not it's not really possible to to remove myself and and look at things in a kind of um, in a kind of objective or critical way um, on uh, for any of that stuff. I don't think. Do your Does parents have their own Wikipedia pages? No. <laughs> I think that's it. Are you, are you, is that a relief? Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is. If the show wasn't as funny as it is it's so funny and so charming it's so good I sort of felt comfortable asking what could be quite a provocative <laughs> question because obviously I love your work and I think yeah, you're no, great it's no, I, and it's no and it's like the, it's also what the show's about on some level so it's like I can't not answer the question <laughs> does that mean that the follow up show the next show mm. has to be I've got this feeling of like I'm just seeing you in jeans and a plaid shirt with a guitar doing a real sincere thing. <laughs> I really want to do that. That's actually, I, I think it will be something like that. It will definitely be, I definitely don't want to do the same But now your thing. audience like that. Don't they want to cut? I don't what? care about my audience. This is for me. Yes. This is all for me. Beautiful. <laughs> but presumably. My audience. There's like four of them. Come on, you've got an HBO special, you can't. <laughs> Four of them. That's what, yeah. Surely five by Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that, I mean, that is interesting in terms of what you do next and where you're going next. And you were writing today. You were, so yeah, like at the yeah, moment yeah. you're deep in writing. What are you writing? Is it like, uh, is it more stand-up? Or are you like, no. I'll turn up with my debut, get an HBO special and then retire undefeated <laughs> and then learn how to do something else? <laughs> Um, no, I I would like to keep doing stand up forever, but I. Uh, it's so hard to find the time with writing a movie. So hard to find the time. <laughs> you know what it's like. Uh, no, I think just after doing because that the this show, I mean, I'm talking about it like I'm doing it now. I I started doing it over almost two years ago. Probably about two years ago, I started the, the first work in progress of it was probably two years ago. And that's a really long time. And it has jokes in it. There are a couple of jokes in that show that I probably wrote when I was 18. And so it just feels like, I think for stand-up at the moment, it feels like, let's let that kind of rest for a second yeah. while I kind of figure out what the fuck I'm, what's going on and like what, what ah, that kind of stuff. Um, but also like just sort of creatively, I don't think that I have much more to say about the stuff that I was talking about in this special. Yeah. Um, and 
And I think that the ca- the character and the persona and the way that I did the show and what I'm wearing, all this, all this stuff that we were talking about was so specifically designed for the show to be about that stuff. And it's all hopefully interconnected. So it feels like one thing. And I'd like ideally to be able to do that again, but for a different idea. But to do that, I need to have an idea. Yeah. Which is so hard. <laughs> and is it like... Seeing as the vast majority of your (laughs) stand-up experience is doing that persona. Mm -hmm. And that persona is not miles away from how you're talking to me now. (laughs) It's it's you, right? It's it's the way you operate. So you found a beautiful way to encapsulate that funny self. and, and, And for that... For that funny self to breathe and speak and sing in this wonderful kind of self-referential snow globe of like the concept mm-hmm. itself, brilliant. You're still you, so you're carrying you to the next project. Yeah, yeah, totally. Well, I, I mean, I'm saying this being like it's going to be complete. I'm not going to be like a fucking trucker. Like it's not, <laughs> it's not going to be that. It's going to be me speaking. Yes, and. I just don't know what it's going to be, basically. Yeah. And I don't think that it should be the same. Uh, I don't know. I think that that that, that conversation is just it culturally is sort of wrapping up as well. And I think it was so the... And I hope that it hasn't wrapped, wrapped up cause, because I want people to watch the show. But... Um, <laughs> But it'd be, nice sort of if, if the show, it'd be nice if them watching the show. It'd be nice if them watching the show was the last moment that yes, that conversation I entered the place. conversation. <laughs> what I'm really saying, I think, is that I ended the conversation about social media. <laughs> no, I, I. What is the next? As as one of the most zeitgeist guests I've spoken oh, to in Jesus recent Christ. times, what's next? What's next, young person? I do. What, what's everyone shitting themselves about now? What are you getting tendrils of that you're like, oh, maybe that's. Maybe that's going to be huge and awful that I would never even know about. Oh my God, I wish I knew. I wish I knew. I mean, nothing's great though, is it? Mm-hmm. It's really not, it's not great, great vibes in general. Um, I would hate to speculate about what, what, what do I think is going to go worst in the next 10 years? Yeah, I suppose that's it, isn't it? <laughs> is what's that your the, question? It's the next challenge, What's the it? worst yeah, what's thing the that's worst... going to happen? Yeah. Um... Uh, Climate war, food crisis. But all, I think it's I, well. <laughs> this is so bleak, but I think probably um, we've had the kind of like pre-fascism preamble, mm-hmm. and probably like fascism proper, mm-hmm. proper version. I imagine will happen. So people who saw fascism preamble and were like, I could do that, but really well, and then they do that. I think that's probably coming. I don't want to be a downer on the community. <laughs> I really have talked like I'm a professor today. Uh, I don't know anything. I'm just going to reiterate that as well. Um, But I think the thing that I worry about online at the moment is that just uh, the the, really strong um, and reactionary political beliefs in gaining a lot of ground among people who would have otherwise probably turned out as progressives is like uh oh 
So maybe that's funny. <laughs> and, and do you think with a, with a, I mean, taking, leaving to one side a lot of the weight of that, which is, you know, I, I think you're absolutely right. I think you're absolutely right. And maybe that is funny. Yeah. <laughs> leaving it like, kind of, sort of looking at that through a lens, like taking a sort of step removed. Oh, it's the only way to do it. What am I going to do? I'm not going to solve it. Well, this is it. What does your work do? Do nothing. That's a truly. I really don't think anything. Well, that's part of the thing as well. It's like I really. We gotta, in my opinion, get 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 over the idea that we're doing with kind of making kind of concrete. Um, political change by, getting on stage in front of. I mean, even thousands of people, but hundreds of people, and and telling uh, telling jokes or stories or whatever. Um, not that I don't. Not that I don't think that. I mean, I hope that that the show or like the stand up has an effect on people, and I hope they take stuff away from it. But this kind of um, and I see this. I s- still so much. Although I think that this again is like sort of trailing off a little bit. Uh, but the thing of like. There's, you know, the most political action is is telling your story, which is true about, well, not, I mean, which I think is a really valuable idea, certainly for lots of um, communities that really haven't had platforms to do that. But the way that that's bled into people like me, with my background, feeling empowered to, to go... And the most political thing I could do is get up on stage and tell my story about how one time at school, someone was like, you're gay. It's like, that is not, there's, we, that we have to delineate the, 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 you know, it's political for sure, but I don't know if it's politics in, like a, <laughs> in the uh, concrete sense of the word. Not that I, oh my God, what am I talking about though? Because that's great. And everyone should do what they want. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's a political, the most political act you can do is tell a story provided we haven't heard it before. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, I, it's, it's not a non-political thing to do, but um, what am I saying? What was, the, what was the original thing that I was trying to say with that? I have no idea. Um, we were talking about what- you Oh, the effect. Does. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Uh, I don't, I am sceptical of the extent to which, um, there's a great, like, um, <laughs> there's a great, <laughs> at, the, at the risk of really just sounding like the biggest cunt that's ever been on this podcast, probably, uh, this this is going to get only hatred in the comments, but there's a great, um, I think it's a Kurt Vonnegut quote, where, about, uh, satire having, like, all the effect of, pushing a cream pie off a stepladder or something. There's some, it's better than that. He does it better. He was very he's, good. He's, he was very good. No, honestly, he's such a smart guy. And, <laughs> um, but even more important than that, kind. <laughs> and a laugh. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I just think that, that uh, a little bit more self-awareness about the, um, in, in, about the, the kind of extent to which uh, the ripples happen out from your, from my, I'm saying this again, this is self-reflection, not um, outward criticism. Um, yeah. I certainly thought that that when I was doing my, my confessional hour about um, coming out or whatever, which is what I talked about for, for most of that, um, I definitely was thinking at the time, like, this is going to be fucking game change for a lot of people. 
No. <laughs> no, well, maybe not, no. but then equally, I think when no, it's people... it's nice to have, When but... people do comedy that is, you know, racist or homophobic or those... That, I do... I wince because I think... <laughs> I wince. That is... Do you know what I mean? We, we wince. We go, fuck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And your wince sounded like... Yeah. A, I, mean, like I wince. Well, I wince. I, I mean, wince. it's fine, but I wince. <laughs> I think when when people do stuff that is that is really offensive, part of what offends us is the idea that like fuck, I don't want people to agree with that. Yeah. So if that's the like, I don't want, I I don't. It's not that I don't, I don't just not want people to agree with it. I feel like it has a negative effect. That's my point. When yes. someone does homophobic or racist bullshit or misogynist stuff, you felt that has a negative effect. And so, but the, surely the flip side of that coin is when someone does something that is reflective and honest and interesting and gives a different perspective totally. and it's funny surely it has a positive effect totally and I, I think that stuff ha- yes I do think it has a positive effect and and you create a cultural landscape which feels welcoming to for people to share experiences and turn their experiences into art it's amazing um, I think what was I going to say oh I think that well it's, I, I think it's because we're talking about you know, because you asked me what the worst thing was going to happen in the, t- the next 10 years <laughs> I think I was thinking very specifically in like a very concrete like political way um, but uh, no of course I mean um, I think that it's, certainly for me I, when I was a teenager when I watched well to be my mind one was Simon Amstel I'd watch Simon Amstel I'd be like being gay is actually pretty funny you know, and it was massively emotionally useful and and a real like breakthrough for me in terms of you know emotionally as a person. Um, I think that the only, I think all I was being to you there was like the, the feeling of like considering the place we are in politically. I think that that the feeling I get amongst a lot of people is that is is politics as a form of self expression um, rather than anything more kind of. Um, I don't know, like community oriented or um, or uh, you, you know practical. Um, not that you can't have both, but um, I worry. I think that the thing I was saying about like the 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 sort of reactionary TikToks that I see from teenagers, um, which I know are just designed to fuel paranoia and fear, um, but I worry in general about the way in which you know you can you can um have politics as, as an asset as a as a element of your personality uh now without necessarily being forced to consider the the material implications of that um and yeah i think that's going to be the uh the hard thing uh in the next few years is sort of um yeah that does that make sense I think you can so. Cut it out. I was sort of you can no, cut no, no. I was sort of I'm actually thought, I'm begging on my knees for you to cut it out. I was hoping I'm you were going to recap please. the point you made because it sounds very intelligent, but I don't know that I totally followed it. And that is my that is my biggest skill. <laughs> <laughs> if I have one skill, it's, something about come it on. No, sounded no. almost good, but no, what it, the fuck are you talking the about? Issue, come on, come on, don't lose. Just say that in a sentence because <laughs> I know you think it, and I think it's legitimate and real. Well, I'll do it in terms of the show. I, it, I'll. It's like in this. It's like in my own show. No, the the. The thing of, um. The the thing of having a pro- provocative, um, stated opinion. Yeah, it's very, it costs nothing to state your opinion, uh, online, 
uh, or in, in general, um, as a form of self-expression of like, this is who I am as a person. And I think it's becoming increasingly, you know, like it, having more and more cachet to have a opinion that it, like, to, to make your political identity um, in some way reactive to the world as it is now, a kind of burn it down, um, especially on the right, and, and especially in progressive circles, people moving to the right and being like, identity politics, fucking shit. And no, no, there's no real change. And you don't really kind of, uh, sort of, um, violent stuff, which is fine. But, um, the way in which that clashes when, when the, the thought, the, the words become actions, I think is, is slightly scary. Yes. Good. That made sense. Good. <laughs> what am I doing? I have a comedy show. It's a comedy show. Laugh. A, la, it's laugh a minute. Don't make me say any more <laughs> about that. Favorite Christmas cracker joke or something? Or <laughs> with writing sure. with writing this show, what kind of a writer? What kind of a joke writer are you? Are you a look out the window, something falls into your head person? No. Are you a Claw at the cold face and with bleeding knuckles until you get something. What kind of what does it look like? When I'm so top down, and I've never once had a thought come into my head randomly. I don't think. I never like all looking around like, oh yeah, isn't it funny how? No, <laughs> never. I'm not. Also, I'm not like a natural. <laughs> I don't. Think, I'm not like a natural comic, as I'm sure you've discovered over talking to me over the past hour. I'm more of a kind of like, oh no. That's more of my feeling in general. Um, I just loved comedy so much that I that I forced my unnaturally make myself do it because I think it's fun. Um, but I really go like, well, I I would like to write a joke about this, and then I would then I walk around my room talking out loud about about that thing. Right, right, great. You start off with that's what you mean by top down. You start off yeah. with I want to talk about this. And I want to find a way to make that funny so that I can talk about it. Yeah. So then you'll pace around your room saying things out loud to yourself like a mad person. Yeah. Until something comes out and you and it's go... It's usually what? like, if I want to talk about it, it's usually because I think there's something funny about it. Or something like, makes me feel ill about it. It's usually something that makes me feel like, oh, no. Can you give, it, can you give us an example of the kind of the, the genesis and, and kind of a specific joke from your show? Yeah. Where you remember that process? Oh, God. Yes, I probably can. Um, what do I talk? What do I talk? What do I talk about? Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> no, um, uh, um, that old, that old people bit. Because I love that bit. And oh yeah, it, it must suck to be old. Yeah, I I think that. Well, that was me. I think that was just a re uh, that was a sense of anger to that I was feeling towards old people, <laughs> and I was like, that's really funny because that's insane. You can't do that. That's like, I'm pretty sure that's, I don't think it's a protected characteristic, but it's certainly not great to sort of hate a generation. And it was in lockdown and I was feeling like so self-pitying about um, my youth fading away at the same you know, all that shit. Uh, and and I think it was just out of, I was like, this, this feels funny to me because it's so, it's such a rational hatred and such, and it was built off also the same things that people always make fun of about old people being like, the past was so amazing. And I was like, I believe that now. 
because I feel I feel like my presence so bad and I should complain about it all the time that I'm now thinking if only I was born in the 60s and you know grew up when houses were so cheap you know that kind of stuff which is a fantasy in itself and I thought it was funny that I was I would, yeah so I'd walk around my room being like what what do I actually think about this where is this coming from do I actually think that in the that if I was born in the past my life would be easier no obviously if I think about it for one second but the romantic idea that I might have like grown up without a phone and and um everything was simple and you'd you'd your life was like a rom-com and and whatever um and uh contrasting with the, my real sense of despair and doom which also is insane about my own life one of the easiest lives in literally in human history that felt really funny to me that i was like in bed every day being like this is so fucking hard meanwhile my mum is bringing me a coffee <laughs> so i mean what is going on um i think that was the and then that that yeah, that gra- gradually forms into like what are the th- you write down the list of all the things you're like that is it like the climate change that they caused that and then you know that so it's that just that, just that, that bit that you've gone nin, nin, nin. Yeah. tell me about that bit. Um, Do you have the well, concept. You walk around your room. Well, yeah, like, yeah, and I'm like, I, I'm like, isn't it unfair that that um, that we have to deal with the consequences of other people's actions? There was a joke earlier about, you know, I don't like dealing with the consequence of my own actions. There was a joke about, uh, there was a version of it that was like, um, <laughs> it was like, uh, my parents make a mistake and I have to pe- pick up the pieces it is a very cruel reversal of the dynamic I'm used to, or like <laughs> that kind of thing. And it just gradually like kind of, yeah, just sort of whittles down into like the real, what what's the point you're trying to make and, and what's the most stupid way you could possibly say it? Um, because obviously I don't think that, <laughs> just to clarify, do not think that um, that an entire generation of people have culpability over over climate change, but I think that the it was an expression of a real sense of generational divide um, and intergenerational animosity that I was feeling um and yeah climate change seems to be the funniest way of doing it and do you are you taking this stuff on stage like at what point do you take it on stage when no, you're going I'm this not, stuff I, what, do, do I like work it out on stage god I wish so much I wish you I see people do that I'm like that's so cool get up there I'm just like yeah I'm just gonna I'm just gonna riff for like five minutes and just like see if this is anything can you imagine <laughs> so nice so nice. No, I get up there sweating buckets, absolutely tense as anything, with with my little perfectly crafted little one-liners that, that no one laughs at. And I go, okay, that's fine. That not that one. Um, yeah, I've never so been. So you have to do you have to learn like a whole new. Yeah, five I learn it like as a play. Wow. <laughs> God, I would be physically unable. To really, do that. Oh, yeah, I wouldn't be able you... to remember it. No, I wouldn't be able to remember it. And I always regard, I regard mem- memorizing things as so difficult and painful to do. Yeah, that I can't do it, and I know it won't work. And I think, well, ha- what's the point in re- tr- putting all this effort and pain into remembering a thing before you know whether it's funny? They're yes. completely the other, completely the other way around. Whereas I, but yeah. it was you with an HBO special. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Um, no, I couldn't. 
I couldn't be, I think the fluidity thing as well also just comes from like, you know, you, on some level, if you're going to go up, up and riff, you do have to believe that you're quite charming. And you're that's extraordinarily <laughs> charming. Okay, we're absolutely waiting for you to jump in and kind of comment on that. No, I, I, no, I don't, I'm not a, I'm not a warm presence on stage. I don't make people feel comfortable. I never have done that. And it was a real, it was a real journey to be like, that's fine actually. And stop trying to kind of, because there's a, if you're, I have like a, a, a extreme desperation about me. Um, in life, but also may, I'm mainly talking about on stage, but in life. Um, and it took a really long time. And that was part, that was a big part of like developing how I like to do stand up. is being like, can I, can I erase this sense of desperation? And the answer was no. But I couldn't do it. I tried to be charming. I'd be like, and I don't want you to do a job. You know, it's like really, oh God, you're right. And just leaning into it and leaning into the kind of slightly like manic, uh, like something's going on behind this guy's eyes. Everything's a little bit too precise. It's a little bit too polished to feel like comfortable. Um, ended up being the, the best way of <laughs> masking the fact that I'm too desperate for the approval of the audience to the extent where it ruins any sense of casualness. So I can, I can never like MC. I'm so bad at it. That's not, because it, it it's not nuts. That's exactly that's the whole thing. That it's nuts that that it it takes so long for everyone to get there, myself included, to recognise that the job is to be yourself, mm. and everything around you suggests that the job is to be something else and to be what you think you're supposed to be and what you imagine you're supposed to be and what, like the people you think are brilliant. And the actual, it's like this enormous kind of impossible self-actualizational shift yeah. to go, oh, those things that I'm trying to hide are the things. Yeah, totally. And also, the, I mean, the thing with com like being a comedian and, and with any job like it, I think, is because there's no, there's obviously no kind of rules to follow. And there's no way of doing it that guarantees anything. Guarantees a good response from the audience, guarantees success in any bigger way. I think people are always looking to make rules about what you should and shouldn't do and, and how it's best to do stuff. And so that there's just like some kind of structure to cling to. Um, and the rules are always wrong. And it's, it, I think that's a that was definitely an experience of like starting out doing stand up, especially in London where you'd go to gigs and people would be like, well, the thing you have to do is you have to gig 900 times a week. Otherwise you should be shot in the head. Or on the other hand being like, you should only do gigs where you know that's going to be your kind of audience because all of the other gigs will make you um, not trust your material. Or like any of this stuff where it's like the, the route map stuff is like, you've got to get an agent now because then by the time you're, or you've got to like wait to do Edinburgh and you've got to have 45 minutes and then you do an hour and then you do an hour and 45 minutes. Or you, all of that stuff being like, oh my God, it's, it's not important enough to think about it like that. And thinking about it like that is so insane and makes, and, and bleeds into everything you then do, I think. And having, having to kind of really try and, unthink a lot of that stuff um 
and relax and fucking relax or fucking and have a nice time uh, I think was such a part of getting actually comfortable doing something that I felt like I, I was good at Leo yes are you happy I'm so happy I, I really want it to, I really want the uh, recording to carry on for as long as possible so that we never we don't have to reflect <laughs> <laughs> that's sort of my vibe in general Just, yeah. you're you're happy you're happy despite the life. fascism despite the outside world despite <laughs> the internet been... despite all the awfulness yeah you're you're not like a comic who is kind of racked by self-doubt or if you are oh, you're God. still happy um I guess I'm happy. I'm not trying to convince you you're not no, happy. No, I... I mean, it's... Uh, am I a... Co- I definitely riddled by self-doubt. I think that's part of it. Um, That's fine. And happy, yeah, in general. I think. But it's hard to say for certain. I feel like my experience of being happy is usually you look back on... Like uh, you look, you you suddenly feel sad, then you're like, oh, I was happy. You know, it's, it was when you like have a blocked nose, and and you're, you're like, like oh, oh my god, I remember when I didn't I have didn't. a blocked nose, <laughs> and I could taste food. That was fucking great. You never know. You're never walking around being like, oh my god, I don't have a blocked nose today. You're like, woohoo, my life's perfect. Um, was that a good answer? <laughs> was that a sad answer? <laughs> Maybe I'm not happy. <laughs> So that was Leo. Thank you so much to Leo for coming on to the show. I really enjoyed that. That's a real kind of came out of that interview absolutely buzzing and just with my head really electrified and uh, and excited. Remember, literally, who cares? Leo Reich, literally, who cares? Is streaming on HBO Max in the US and on Sky in the UK, and it's his fucking debut. Admittedly, a finely tooled, planned, cleverly, cleverly developed, deftly worked out debut, but a debut nonetheless on HBO Max. Imagine that and Sky. You can follow Leo on Twitter at Leo is Tired, and you can follow Leo underscore Reich on Instagram. That's the difference, isn't it? It's whether you pronounce it Reich or Reich. And I didn't check with him, and I don't know. You can see my award-winning climate show spoilers at the Leicester Comedy Festival a few days ago, depending on when you're hearing this. Um, and also you can see me at uh, the Wells Comedy Festival and the McHamcleth Comedy Festival with spoilers, the show that The Times called The Funny Side of Climate Change. No, really. I, I wish I could solve this. How do you fucking get people to come and see a show that they know is about climate change, even if you know that it's fucking hilarious? That's so hard, and I think it might be the work of the rest of my life. Oh, that's aggravating. How annoying to have a mission. Um, A reminder that the Insiders Club has now moved to Patreon, so you can get full video episodes, extra content in video as well as audio, exclusive guest announcement, and new membership offerings like the monthly Q&A, which is a Q&A with me with a fun title and which I'm about to record soon. Submit your questions if you're in the Insiders Club. Use the Patreon app um, to submit your questions now. Um, You'll also get access to the full back catalogue of extras. Someone got in touch and said, hey, the the older extras aren't on the Patreon. And they certainly are. We've checked. So go to patreon.com slash comcompod for more info. Thank you to our insider producers who are Sam Allen, Jay Lucas, Gary McClellan, Dave. Oh, that's interesting. Miles Walsh, Nick, wait. Nick, wait. Uh, Andres Perde. Caroline Schmidt, Jonathan Stewart, Richard Lucas, Paul Swaddle, James Burry, Ashley Stewart and Mike Sheldon. And a big thank you to our special and very fancy insider executive producer. There's only one of them. It's Neil, the real deal, Peters. Thanks, Neil. Um, thank you, everybody. Thanks for listening. Um, I've, I do have... 
you know what? I've not only got a spare five minutes now before I get interviewed for a thing. I've got a spare five minutes to post-amble at you. And I'm pretty bloody sure that I made a list of a thing to talk about. I did tour support uh, last night and the night before for Joe Wilkinson. And Joe Wilkinson is so much more famous than I realised. Of course he's famous from Chatterbix. Um, but he didn't even tell the Chatterbix audience, apparently. He didn't even mention it. My wife is a Chatterbiscuit and had no idea that he was working up some new material. And he's selling out these big rooms in moments on the basis of no promo because he's incredibly famous. And I just hadn't realised. I mean, I know, obviously, I, he's just one of those people that I've known him forever. Me, So me and Joe Wilkinson and um, uh, Lee Bannard... Uh, I was going to say, sadly, no longer with us. Sadly, no longer with us in the comedy industry, but very much with us in the world. And just he was the first person I knew who, um, not bravely, but what's the word? It's someone who was a really good comic with the, the world at their feet who went, nah, not for me. And went off and did something else and had a proper life. God love him. And you, if you're him, because I know you listen. Um, and also Diane Morgan. The four of us did a, an Edinburgh four-hander, a split four-hander show. It was called Four on the Floor. It didn't need to be. That was my suggestion. I thought it needed a cool name. And I googled all of the idioms with four in them. Four on the floor. It makes sense, but it would be a cool name if four on the floor was something that we said in the UK as opposed to a handful of car enthusiasts in the States. But I got away with it. I think everyone just found my irrepressible Duracell buddy-like energy utterly exhausting and just let me do whatever I wanted with the production of that show. Apologies. Every, I've talked about this before, but every day I'd turn up and Lee, Diane and Joe would be like, God, I don't want to do this anymore. That's a plumber. I haven't got time to re-record it. You'll have to put up with the plumber. Um, they'd turn up and I, I, like, I'd be injecting loads of sort of passion and energy into the show and all of them would be like, oh God, this again. <laughs> and where are they now? Happy. All three of them. Um, so Joe, who is a, a listener to the podcast and a, a friend and a lovely, lovely man, and I, we did these shows and I'm just so desperate. Basically, I don't think he'll come on the show. I don't think he'll come on the podcast, but I know he listens. And um, uh, so he and I, I basically did a mini con-con with him, unrecorded. Um, sorry, it's plumber. There's nothing I can do about it. Um, uh, and, and do you know what he's doing? He's putting a radiator into the cellar just in time for spring. That's on me. Um, so Joe and I basically did the lost episode of Comedians Comedian, whereby I asked him all the stuff I would have asked him. Fascinating answers. And uh, it wouldn't be fair for me to share any of that information with you. But let's all just imagine what he might think about stuff. Yeah. Yeah, he sees it like that. Yes. Yes. And he's always... Yeah, exactly. But he's never... Yes. And so the key difference between he and I in our approach early doors was... Right. I mean, staring me in the face now. And I never realised at the time that's what I was doing. But he didn't do that. He cleverly did that instead. And as a result, look where it's got him. He's so funny. Jesus. The new Was that annoying? That was really annoying, wasn't it? Sorry. Um, the I'd love to tell you. I won't. Um, but the. Um, thanks, Mike. Um, I mean, I could just pause, couldn't I? And then uh, Callum could he could take these bits out. We don't have time. I'm about to be interviewed about coaching. Coaching. Um, two points. Um, one is that uh, Joe is really, uh, I mean, God, he's funny. God, he's funny. I wish I could. Obviously, it's new material and you wouldn't want to quote someone's jokes anyway. But I could tell you five jokes off the top of my head right now, which are just such bangers. And he is so methodical and precise and brilliant. 
and he just gets his whole persona. He said this before, I'm sure, out loud. So I don't think this is betraying trust. But he does his material from the perspective of the weirdo on the bus. And that it's so funny because it just gives him license to talk about whatever he wants. And so the show is incredibly rich and dense with jokes. And when he when it's finished and he officially announces it, get in quick, because I suspect he's not the sort to wallow around in an extended tour. I think when it turns up, get get on your local theatre's mailing list now in case he's coming there, because you don't want to miss it. It's just brilliant. The other element of it is that he gave me real free reign to really to be I was going to say fuck about, but let's say stay loose. I was really loose in support. It worked fantastically in Taunton. It worked well in Bath and there were certainly highlights. I don't think I've achieved the consistency of the 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 highlights of the looseness. But I'm so grateful because those gigs both now are in the same pot of gigs in my mind as Burnham on Sea, which I think I may have told you about in the last post amble where I was loose as fuck, did half an hour at headlining at a gig with only 60 people in a big hall not much of a vibe. Everyone had done very well and done their best on the bill, but not much of a vibe. And I really seized it by the throat and managed to seize it by the throat, but not tighten up myself. Like I grabbed the gig. The metaphor's confusing. I grabbed the gig. I seized the gig, but remained loose and improvisational. I did maybe half an hour with probably only two prepared bits, two jokes at the end. The rest of it was very, very loose, riffy stuff. And it reminded me, I was describing it to Joe. The reason it's so exciting was that in 2019, when I did Primer, I ha- did remember, I did that thing where I had the words on a screen of like, and I changed the words. I'd not substantially, I'd change about a third of the words every day, like bullet points of things I'd just thought of. So I was doing new material, but loose concepts I'd thought of that day. And it was awesome. And I came out of it. We talked about it. We talked about this at the time, you and I. Um, I came out of it thinking, why does anything need to be finished? I think what I love doing is sort of playing with these amorphous, unfinished, you know, it was like a new material tour. God, it was good. And I managed to get that same sense of realness and presence and in the momentness. And I came off and I will think of this very fondly when I'm old and greyer, older and greyer. Um, but Joe said to me, oh, that's good. You've created a thing there where you can't not be funny. And... He was like, I felt very confident in like, whoa, growth, growth. This is good. And then to have someone as funny and friendly and lovely as Joe kind of conf- and someone as brilliant as Joe kind of confirmed that it felt like an extra little pat on the head, which would have been uh, patronizing were he not so tall and such as a, as such it felt appropriate. So that's good. So I'm in a really I'm in a really good mood. I've got to tell you all about Green Biz. I was at a have I got time? No. Future episode, I'll tell you all about Green Biz. I went to a huge sustainability conference with massive, massive corporate people there who really have their mitts on the levers of power and are really genuinely driving change. And it went great. Oh, God, it went great. And I've so new mailing list, you've got an option now. If you are listening to this, if you happen to be a climate person, um, when you go to stuartgoldsmith.com, you can opt in to climate or resilience or stand up and podcast. So if you want to be kept abreast of climate stuff, I will sort of funnel that into there. So if you happen to work in any sort of sphere of of the business world and you want to know about the resilience stuff, or if you happen to work in sustainability to any level, you can opt into those uh, on the mailing list. And uh, and I will tell you all about it. And I've got some great video from the conference, like a huge, like literally a thousand corporate sustainability people in a room. And I was able to address them and talk passionately about a thing I care about and using comedy to sort of get into the, the cracks, the ambiguities in sustainability comms and messaging and try and actually offer something useful and a fresh perspective. And it it was 
absolutely fucking exhilarating, mate. It was great. It was so great. So more on that at some point if I can sort of turn it into a, a, a... If I can speak it in a language in which it feels appropriate to do so on the pod. But for now, that will do us. Don't miss Leo Reich's show uh, on HBO Max if you're in the States or Sky if you're in the UK. Remember, uh, Leo is tired on Twitter and Leo underscore Reich on Instagram. You can find me at stuartgoldsmith.comedy on most things apart from Twitter where I'm at ComComPod. And this is a podcast brought to you from comedianscomedian.com, which is soon going to look very, very different. So for now, just go to stuartgoldsmith.com and find out anything you need. The show was logged by uh, Susie Lewis. It was produced by producer Callum Morin. Uh, I've been Stuart Goldsmith and the music was by Rob Smouton as ever. So everything? Is it? Yes. Do you know what? Do you know we try... I've, I've, I picked up uh, Mr. Matt Crosby's suggestion of saying uh, let's all try and... Uh, retain a consistent sense of self at the end of episodes and uh, i used it as a give us a cheer last night in uh, in bath that was a lot of fun to effectively open with give me a cheer if you have a consistent sense of self what a lovely thing that was lovely little thread to pull at that i look forward to continuing so do do that if you're able bye-bye